Would that be great? Yeah. What's that? Uh, I was trying to check her. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mom. Mom Good afternoon. I'm John Falchicchio, Deputy Mayor for Planning and Economic Development, and welcome to uh, the Recovery Weekly Check-In, uh, where we come to you each week to talk to you about where we are in our uh, relief and recovery. Uh, and where we'll be going uh, in order to make sure that we grow again. Uh, and with us uh, today, uh, we've got a great uh, group of uh, panelists who are going to tell us about their work uh, in uh, helping district residents uh, get back to work. Uh, before we do that, though, a couple uh, economic-related announcements, uh, including uh, our uh, March Madness, uh, which we're really excited about. Uh, March Madness is an annual event. Uh, that Mayor Bowser started uh, in her first year in office in order to bring forth opportunities uh, for both real estate uh, professionals, but also for those who want to do uh, business with the district government. So we're excited that March Madness will take place tomorrow at 10 a.m. So if you uh, haven't signed up already, uh, you can go to the DEMPED, uh, so any DEMPED social media or our website to make sure that you sign up and register. Uh, and we'll start tomorrow at 10 a.m. Uh, and we'll be talking about uh, DC Hope uh, once again. Uh, this time, though, we've traded out the health for housing, uh, so we'll talk about housing, opportunity, prosperity, and equity uh, over the course of the morning and early afternoon. Uh, so we hope you'll join us for that. And then today, we were actually out at St. Elizabeth's campus in Ward 8, uh, where we actually broke ground on 88 uh, new townhomes. This is a homeownership opportunity uh, in the heart of the Congress Heights neighborhood. Uh, so we're really excited that 27 of those uh, uh, townhomes will actually be affordable uh, at 50 and 80 percent of the area median income. Uh, for those of you who don't know, for a family of four that's a family that's making between $63,000 and $100,000, they'll have an opportunity uh, to buy one of those townhomes. And we're excited to work with a partner, MANA, in order to make sure that there's a home buyers club uh, so that residents who are interested in partaking uh, in this home ownership opportunity have uh, everything they need uh, to take full advantage uh, of this opportunity or a future one uh, as well. So we're really excited about that. Uh, and today, uh, we'll continue with our fourth week of celebrating Women's History Month. Uh, and this week, we're actually going to uh, highlight an unsung Shiro, uh, who is Patrice and her mom, Alice, uh, of Purple Patch. Uh, they are uh, business owners in Mount Pleasant. Uh, and we visited them this week uh, in order to celebrate uh, this veteran business owner and her mother. Uh, and so we're going to show you a little video of that visit. I think I speak for every business owner across the, the country and the world um, about how challenging it's been. Um, to say that it's been a pivot is probably an understatement. I think um, for us it's just been an all-out just kind of change of operation. It's not even like, oh, let's just put it to this direction and put it to this direction. It's like, stop everything that we're doing. Now we have to, like, refocus and we have to go back to the ground table and see what can work for us and how is it going to work. I spent eight years in the rainforest and I really kind of looked at the, um, the pandemic as an ambush. And as a Marine, if you are ambushed, 
um, you have one of two options, like stay there and potentially die, or move and figure it out, and it's often overcome for the situation. The reason why we're here with the truth is to actually recognize her as an unsung hero, and it's going to give her Um, and I don't know if we showed uh, the food enough at uh, Purple Patch uh, because uh, we were able to stay for dinner. Uh, and I got to tell you, it is a magnificent uh, Philippine restaurant. Uh, you've got to check it out. If you haven't had it, you're going to love it. Uh, so check out Purple Patch in Mount Pleasant. Uh, and we also left uh, uh, Patrice and Alice uh, with uh, some gifts, as you saw from uh, Lee's Florist on U Street, as well as uh, some uh, goodies from uh, the Maiden DC shop. Uh, including uh, Comkit, uh, the Madam Vice President uh, tote, uh, as well as the District of Champions uh, face mask. So we thank our unsung Shiro uh, for her dedication to her neighborhood uh, and also the District of Columbia. Uh, so we're really excited uh, to bring in our panelists. Uh, Want to make sure that you have a chance to join the conversation. Uh, so if you're on Facebook or Twitter, be sure to use the hashtag DC Hope. That'll help us see any comments or questions that you have. Uh, and if you're on the phone line, uh, you can press zero, that's right, zero now, uh, and you'll be able to join the conversation. Uh, so with that, I want to bring in our first guest uh, who works closely with us. Uh, and as you know, we have the district's economic recovery team, uh, which Mayor Bowser stood up in March of last year to be an interagency uh, group of uh, individuals who work together in order to think about uh, not just how we were navigating the response, uh, but really to look ahead at the recovery. Uh, and so with us is Sharon Carney, uh, our uh, chief of staff in Demphead, uh, who's going to talk to us a little bit about uh, what we've been working on uh, and uh, introduce uh, some of our first guests. So with that, I'm going to uh, turn it over to Sharon Carney. Thank you, Deputy Mayor. I am uh, so pleased to be here at my very first uh, Recovery Weekly check-in. Um, you know, one year ago, uh, COVID upended our lives um, pretty much overnight. Within days, um, so many members of our community um, had lost jobs, were um, looking at businesses that had been closed, um, or the more fortunate among us were starting to work from home while also parenting and teaching. Um, it happened so quickly. Um, and from the beginning, from very early on, while the pandemic had this very swift and significant effect, we also knew that the recovery a truly equitable economic recovery was not going to happen quite as quickly. We all know that the pandemic has had a very uneven impact across our communities, our African-American and Latinx communities, as well as women who are employed in low-wage jobs have been hardest hit. And so we knew that we were going to need to get to the root problems of those things in order to recover in a truly equitable way. So last March, when Mayor Bowser asked us to stand up an economic recovery team, we knew we had to think about tracing and testing and vaccines, but we also wanted to get to those root causes. And so we think about our economic recovery work in a few ways. We're focused on delivering relief, recovery, and growth. And what we mean by relief is 
programs and policies and resources to help mitigate those immediate impacts of COVID. That's a lot of what we've done this past year. We've provided business grants. We've provided unemployment checks. We have done a lot of those things to help ensure that people have stability, that they have stable housing and income. Um, the next big category of work we've done is, is related to recovery. And this is really about helping people and businesses adapt to this very strange situation that we found ourselves in, while also building resilience for the future. And that third bucket is growth. Growth is about finding those ways to fuel future growth in our business community, but also the economic mobility of our residents. And that's where in the next year, in the, in the very uh, near months, in fact, we'll be focusing a whole lot more of our effort and energy as we think about what opportunities we might be able to take advantage of now that the Congress has passed the American Rescue Plan. So we can go to the next slide. So we take a pretty comprehensive view of economic recovery at DEMPED. And while we are the lead for the economic recovery team, it involves agencies from all across district government. Um, it includes education, technology, workforce, infrastructure, um, and many, many others because it, it requires a comprehensive interagency effort. This slide shows some of the pillars of our economic recovery strategy. It's really rooted in the economic security and opportunities for residents, as well as the health and vitality of businesses. And so those things that are critical to residents' economic opportunity are things like training for in-demand careers and transitions to new high-demand industries. Housing security is critical to that. Digital access and literacy is going to be essential to our long-term economic recovery. And financial security, wealth building, and strong communities, communities that have access to healthcare, access to food, good, reliable transportation, those are all critical to our long-term vitality. On the business side, we're also focused on a few key pillars. Those include restoring and reviving our hospitality and small business sectors. That includes tourism and entertainment. We're also thinking a lot about downtown because as we all know, a lot of workers are no longer going downtown every day, which has created all kinds of challenges for the businesses that rely on them. And as we think about the future, we'll be focused on high growth industries and cultivating entrepreneurship and innovation and finding really concrete pathways into those careers for our residents. So, over the last year, we have done a whole lot, and I've been able to partner with some really fabulous women from across our cluster, some of whom are here with me today. Um, so I want to celebrate a couple of them, more than a couple of them. Um, so Sabungli Cook, who you've seen here before, our Director of Business Development at DEMPED, in partnership with Stephanie Thomas uh, and Tiffany Thacker and many others on our business development team, have deployed more than $155 million in business grants over the last year. And they've done this in partnership with many other women. One, of course, is Director Christy Whitfield at DSLBD, the Small and Local Business Development Department, um, and her Chief of Staff, Rosemary Suggs-Evans. Director Polly Donaldson at DHCD has also been a partner in de delivering some of those business grants, specifically a special program that was deployed in Ward 7 and 8. And 
we were able to partner with Director uh, Shauna Young at Aussie to deliver $5 million of grants to childcare centers. On the housing front, again, Director Polly Donaldson, Directors Laura Zeilinger, and uh, not a woman, but still a critical partner, Director Chris Donald at the Housing Finance Agency delivered nearly $12 million in housing stabilization grants that supported more than 5,000 households um, and helped ensure that people had stable housing and we continue to work together with them to stand up new programs for rent and utility assistance. Uh, finally, our Office of uh, Cable Television Film Media and Entertainment, OCTFME, I think I got that right, um, has been absolutely amazing in supporting the creative economy and our entrepreneurs there. They have executed the Business Over Brand Bootcamp, master's classes, and they continue to produce events all the time so that we can deliver the most high quality and quick high frequency information about the pandemic and the public health situation. So we are incredibly lucky to have such a committed and hardworking team. Um, so many women across our cluster, but also beyond. And I know you're gonna get to hear from more of them today. I did not mention all the work being done around workforce. Um, because I know that director, Unique Morris Hughes, is going to talk all about that in just a minute. So we are grateful to have these partners, and I'm going to turn it back to Deputy Mayor Filchikio. Great. Well, I'll turn right to uh, our directors who are with us uh, in the room, uh, and we'll hear from Unique uh, Morris Hughes and then uh, from Director Christy Whitfield. Excellent. Well, good afternoon, and um, Sharon and John, thank you so much for um, today's discussion. I think not only is it a real treat um, that we get to hear um, from some amazing uh, women that are on the panel, but we get to center the voice of women um, and the lives of women in economic um, recovery and, and development. Um, and I am super proud to work for a mayor um, that continues to lead when it comes to economic development and especially women. So thank you for um, putting this amazing discussion uh, together. So I'm going to uh, get right into it and jump into my slides. Um, and some of these I'm going to go through pretty quick because I want to talk about um, at the core what is happening here and, and some recommendations about what should be uh, done. Uh, so everybody knows that there has been unprecedented uh, job loss. The District of Columbia is no different um, than any other state in this country um, where just tremendous uh, loss in income uh, and jobs. And so currently the unemployment rate for the District of Columbia stands at about 8.4%. Um, and in some places we are incrementally growing um, in terms of total uh, employed, um, but we know that there's still more work to do as it relates to recovery. Um, but specifically today, we're going to talk about some of the, the challenges and the uphill battles that we have with getting women back to work, um, which is going to be um, equally uh, important to getting everybody back to work. So the, um, the unemployment rate in the district uh, has, is at the highest that it has been since 1976. And again, this shouldn't surprise uh, uh, anybody. Um, but when we start to unpack what this looks like um, among subpopulations uh, uh, in the sample here, 
we begin to see some staggering data um, on the impacts of women. And today I'm going to focus on um, some national statistics and some recommendations uh, that, um, uh, that could be implemented in terms of policy considerations. Um, I, I should also mention, you know, I've come before the same group and talked a lot about unemployment insurance, but um, today I get to highlight uh, data from the Department of Employment Services, um, really internal Bureau Labor of Statistics and research shops. Many folks don't realize that we have a whole group of people um, that work day in and day out, um, and they are economists. Um, and so they have helped me put this together, and I'm going to highlight some of their uh, some of their work today. So as it relates to women, there was a study um, by McKinsey and Oxford um, Economics that is really projecting that unemployment amongst women will not reach pre-pandemic levels um, until 2024, two full years after recovery for men. Female workforce participation has already dropped to 57%, which is the lowest level since 1988, according to the National Women's Law Center. And this is probably, at least for me, the most um, uh, staggering statistic, um, I think, that woke a lot of us uh, practitioners and policymakers in the field, but that 80% of the 1.1 million people who exited the workforce were women. And in December, when, December, women accounted for all of the net job losses. Now let that sink in. Women accounted for all of the net job losses while men achieved some job gains. Today, unemployment for women remains 1.9 percentage points below the pre-pandemic level. There is an urgent need here to really focus on recovery of women and ensuring that there is an equitable and inclusive recovery of women and back to the workforce. Now, pre-COVID-19, women on average already did twice as much of unpaid care. The reason why unpaid care is uh, particularly important when we talk about women and workforce is because traditionally, um, women have not only held uh, roles of caregiving and caretaker at home, um, but they hold roles at uh, substantive and important roles uh, at work as well. And as you can imagine, at least I can even say anecdotally, that um, once the pandemic really upended our life, um, caregiving and teaching and schooling and all of the other things kind of keeping the family together um, also became even greater um, in addition to the work responsibilities as well, um, which is one of the main drivers of, of this disparity of job loss. Women are carrying more of the household work. Um, this was something that was occurring already pre-pandemic, but now it's occurring more um, than ever. Also, one in four women are now considering leaving the workplace or downshifting their careers. They are making really difficult decisions in considering whether or not caregiving could or should be their full-time job. This is important. This could potentially jeopardize all of the important progress that we as a country have made in breaking the glass ceiling and getting women into leadership opportunities. If women are going to leave the workforce uh, by choice, we're in trouble. Now, let me say here, this is complex. 
because the work of caregiving is also important. But we also understand, um, and I, I certainly believe as a practitioner, that perhaps we shouldn't put women in a position to have to choose between caregiving and going to work. Perhaps there are policy considerations or implementation suggestions or operational suggestions that employers could consider that will allow women to do both work and caregiving um, as well. And for many women in senior roles, the same sort of caregiving has been exacerbated by um, additional uh, uh, stress, as you can, um, as you can imagine. Um, if you look at, and there's a lot of literature that exists about recovery, especially amongst African-American and Latinx communities, recovery for these subgroups are even slower. So there's a sense of urgency here when we talk about creating a strategy that's going to address what is in the best interest of women to keep them in the workforce. So let's talk recommendations. So there are a few national recommendations um, that exist. I'm really proud that Demphead and the mayor um, have led on childcare assistance and childcare expansion. Um, the district continues to lead that um, nationally, but expanding childcare assistance to empower women to re-enter the workforce more quickly and smoothly after the pandemic is going to be key. When women have to worry about the well-being of their families, it is uh, tumultuous because they're not able to fully um, be present and work, and they may be left with difficult decisions about whether to work or not. Also, educational support could be provided to women without high school, um, uh, without high school or college degrees. And this is really centered to the work that we're doing at DOES, where there are many women who are in lower wage jobs um, that have lost their jobs, many of which may have been in the hospitality and tourism sector. And so it is super critical that we have a pathway and strategy to get them trained to get them um, reskilled, upskilled. I talk a lot about reframing your resume and having your experience um, uh, shifted or reframed so it's transferable. All of these things are going to be important to get women back um, uh, to work. And then the other thing is that employers can also take measures to ensure that women who have left the workforce during the pandemic are also offered opportunities to make up lost time like reassessing workplace norms to increase work-life flexibility for all employees. I'll tell you, I am an in-person kind of girl. Like, I like to be in the office. I want to be on Minnesota Avenue. I like to see my folks. Um, and so, at first, this whole idea of virtual was very difficult for me to wrap my mind around, especially given the human services work, um, or at least that's one part of the, the house at DOES. But... I, even myself as a woman leader, um, have had to rethink and reconsider how I can create a more um, a supportive and flexible workplace. And so these are just a few recommendations, um, and many of which the district is already considering. Um, district businesses and employers um, are taking action on, but these are things that we should think about as we continue to center the voice and lives of women um, uh, in recovery. Um, and so, Deputy Mayor, if it's okay, I'd be happy to introduce Jocelyn Fry. 
Um, okay, so folks, you're in for a real treat here. Um, Jocelyn Fry is a senior fellow and at the Center for American Progress uh, Action um, Fund. Um, she uh, has an undergraduate degree from the University of Michigan, a law degree from Harvard Law School. Most importantly, she is a proud native uh, of Washington, D.C. She is a thought leader and an expert on women's economic security, um, women's rights, um, employment uh, of women, and most of her career has been focused on helping women and families um, as it relates to economic development, uh, labor, uh, and civility. So I am super stoked and excited. Um, Jocelyn Fry, I'm going to turn it over to you to offer uh, a few remarks. Welcome. Well, thank you so much for the invitation. And uh, it's really wonderful to be here with you uh, and your colleagues, the deputy mayor, and all of uh, all of you uh, with the, the district government. Um, and it's really um, a privilege to follow uh, the comments of um, Dr. Morris Hughes because uh, in many ways you covered a lot of the issues that I really want to address um, because you're absolutely right that, you know, one of the striking features of the pandemic has been the outsized uh, impact on women and women's workforce participation. Um, and I, I will really pick up where you left off. And I think there are a couple of contextual points here that are important to remember. Um, and the first is that many of the problems that we have seen over the past year with women's workforce participation are not new problems. What the pandemic did is really highlight problems that had been out there for a long time. And I think, if anything, the pandemic has been a wake-up call to the reality that we have really fallen short in terms of some of the policy solutions that we need to actually ensure that not only women can participate in the workforce, but that they can remain in the workforce um, and provide income support to their families. So that's one overarching point that I think we have to keep in mind. Um, the other is that we also have to recognize that women are increasingly um, integral to the economic stability of their families. Um, you know, the time that uh, you know, people just assumed that women were sort of somewhat peripheral and really, you know, the men sort of brought all the income support to their families. If that was ever really true, it is certainly no longer true now. Um, you know, more than two-thirds of mothers are breadwinners. Um, those numbers are even higher if you look at black women and Latinas. Um, so for many families, um, women's uh, participation in the, in the workforce is really not simply a nice thing to do, it's actually pivotal to their economic stability and security. So those two overarching points are really critical because they inform the conversation about what's happened during the pandemic. And again, um, Dr. Morris Hughes really laid out some of the, the dynamics that have occurred. Number one, we've seen tremendous job loss in occupations and industries where women disproportionately work, leisure and hospitality, education and health services, and even the public sector. Those are disproportionately places where women um, work. Those have been hard hit by the pandemic. And so as a result, you've seen women lose many more of the jobs. Uh, if you look at the numbers over the past year from February 2020 to February 2021, uh, women lost um, over 2 million, uh, more than 2 million women left the workforce. Um, if you look at the jobs that women lost more than men, uh, 
almost a million, maybe closer to 800,000 jobs more than men. Um, so the, the, the sheer impact of just the, the nature of the industries that have been affected have disproportionately affected women. The other dynamic, again, that you mentioned is just the, the reality that women do more of the caregiving. And I think the related piece of that is that we don't have the caregiving supports in place that really enable folks to balance both their work and family. Um, you know, there are jurisdictions like the District of Columbia that have paid leave um, and have, you know, um, uh, invested in different strategies to help people manage work and family, but we don't have anything at the national level. And so as a result, what you have is a patchwork of support and you have too many women and men who have been struggling with the reality that in the middle of a health pandemic, a public health emergency, the one thing that they are going to need is to be able to take leave um, to support and care for their families. So the absence of those supports have been devastating for many families. Um, I think the other thing, though, to remember about the pandemic is that people have focused a lot on women leaving the workforce, which is really critically important. But it's also important to recognize that I often say that women have been on multiple front lines of this pandemic. On the one hand, they have been far more likely to lose their jobs. Um, you pointed out the unemployment numbers in D.C. Um, if you look nationally, women, um, uh, unemployment rates, particularly for women of color, um, are at some of their highest levels um, and outstrip the unemployment rate for white women. Um, and that's, uh, you know, a dynamic that has um, been slow, women of color have been slow to recover from. But the other thing to remember is that women of color have also, and women have also continued to work. They are disproportionately essential workers. And so many of the folks who we relied on to continue to work during the pandemic are women. And those folks um, tend to be in jobs many times that are low-wage jobs. They don't have the, the worker supports necessary to be able to take time off if they need to, if they are sick or their family members are sick. So when we think about solutions, we have to think about both how do we help folks get back to work, but also what are the solutions when people get back to work? What are the inequities? What are the things that we need to correct to make sure that people actually can be economically stable? So at the national level, a lot of what people have talked about are things like access to paid leave and paid sick leave, but they've also talked about strategies to boost wages, um, uh, whether it's raising the minimum wage or just in, in uh, strengthening worker protections, because we know both of those pieces together um, are really critical for women. The last thing I would say, and you mentioned uh, child care, the other thing we know is that the child care industry has been devastated over the past year. Um, uh, you know, a, a million child care slots have been lost by um, many estimates. Um, uh, and at least 170,000 childcare jobs have been lost. So we also have that competing pressure that is exacerbating the pressures that families already feel in terms of their ability to care for um, their, their, their kids and their family members. So all of those things have to be in the in uh, front and center when we're talking about solutions, um, and we have to sort of meet people where they are to come up with solutions that actually will make uh, their lives better. The very last thing I will say is that tomorrow is Equal Pay Day, um, and it is you know perhaps appropriate that you host this event uh, around Equal Pay Day because we know that one of the reality for women workers is that they are underpaid. Women uh, uh, are underpaid generally; they earn 82 cents for every dollar earned by men. The numbers are higher for black women, Latinas, 
um, many women of color. And so our task in terms of getting women back has to be not only what are the tools and policies to get them back, but once they get there, what are the things we need to do to make sure that they're actually treated fairly um, and that their work is valued fairly. So I'll stop there, um, but more than happy to answer questions. And thank you just for the invitation to be here. Well, thank you, uh, Dr. Unique Martuz and Jocelyn Fry uh, for joining the conversation. If you want to uh, also join the conversation, if you have a question or a comment, uh, use the hashtag DC Hope on Twitter or Facebook. Uh, that'll let us see your comment or question, uh, or you can press zero uh, now, and we'll uh, get you queued up uh, for when we start that conversation with our audience members. Uh, and I know folks are watching on Channel 16, on mayor.dc.gov slash live, and of course, uh, on our social media platform. So thank you for joining us. And we want to thank uh, our next guest. Did I say guest or really, this is kind of a, a numerous, numerous guest. Uh, Director Kristen Whitfield. A regular partner. Regular partner. I like that. Okay, fantastic. Uh, who's been with us uh, many times to talk about our support, our support for uh, DC businesses, but uh, will talk to us uh, today specifically about what the department is doing uh, for women-owned businesses and then bring in our next uh, guest who's a uh, uh, woman-owned business uh, right here in uh, D.C. So with that, I'll go to Christy. Uh, thank you, Deputy Mayor. Um, I want to say it is, you know, a pleasure to be able to continue to participate in these events because I think they are so important. And today's topic, of course, is near and dear to my heart as it is to all of us. You know, I was reflecting on something that my own mother said to me as I began my career. So my mom was, you know, a little bit of a hippie and a really lot of an activist. And she said to me, you know, when we fought for feminism, it was to give women choices. But somehow the result has been that you have to do everything. You have to do both. And, and it's an interesting observation, you know, as I then reflect on my own career, you know, for me, deciding to run a business and deciding to have children meant that I was able to do both, but that I was doing both. So I was running a cupcake company literally for a year with a child strapped on my, on my body. And, and this is what women do. We know this is, you know, this is the reaction. I'm not, I'm not unique as a mom or as an entrepreneur, but we know that the burden of caregiving just seems to fall naturally on women. And even when you are, you know, you consider yourself an evolved woman in an evolved relationship, I will share that I was, you know, we've been lucky to be teleworking and I've got two children at home, six and eight, that are doing school who were bothering me at one point when I was trying to have a meeting and I said, ask your father. And my eight-year-old looked at me and said, but daddy's working. And I was like, are you kidding me? So these, these are the challenges that persist. And, and I think COVID has really highlighted the, the inequity in the way that things just naturally evolve. So we're not going to solve all of these, but I think as we build back better, we are really conscious. And I'm, I'm excited to work for a mayor and a deputy mayor that makes space for conversations like this, where we can talk about the root causes so that our solutions are a little bit more holistic. You know, I, I'm the last person before our guest tonight, and I think her business really speaks directly to the, I'm going to say today, collision of work and care, because we know that, you know, sometimes these things go hand in hand, and sometimes they, 
it's just a catastrophe. Okay. This is just me speaking personally. <laughs> we keep it real at DSLVD. Um, but before I do introduce, before I do introduce our business guests, I just want to do a few quick announcements because we have some things that are exciting coming up um, at DSLBD. You know, our We Aspire 2021, which is a program to support returning citizens, you know, is open, and we are ex we are really excited to be supporting new entrepreneurs and existing entrepreneurs as they pursue their as they pursue their goals. We know that returning citizens have been particularly excluded in some of the federal supports, and we are you know really focused on doubling down on making sure that these members of our community are held up and, and move forward. So, you know, please go, you know, I think the sign is up there at uh, bit.ly dot we hashtag we aspire 2021. Um, another one, and I will admit again, this one sometimes confused me and I seem to always get it wrong, but we have a big deadline that's coming up. So if you are our business, I want everyone to know that April 1st, the corporate filings deadline is coming up there and it's, biannual, and I always forgot which year was mine, there is actually a list on DCRA, and if you can uh, go to DCRA and just make sure you don't miss that deadline, because this is not the time for me to find yourself, you know, missing things, because then there's fines, and then there's a hassle. So we just want to get in front of this and remind people, please go to the DCRA website and make sure that you're doing your appropriate filings and doing them on time. And then last but not least, because we're talking about a lot of things that are hard, but I think the most important thing and the thing that I always like to really harp on is that the team at DSLBD is here to help businesses wherever they are moving into the next space. And so if you have an idea, if you need a little help, if you need just some advice, DSLBD is here to help you. And there's a website that is too long for me to read up here, but it's at InnoWed, meet with us. We want you to know that there are actual live warm bodies that we can connect you to to help you pursue your business idea. Um, so dslbd.dc.gov, please check us out and just know that through these tumultuous times, you know, we see you, we don't have all the answers, but we are here to help generate answers together. Um, and, and as moms and workers and former entrepreneurs, you know, I just want to say, don't bring us your perfect problem, bring us your real problem. And, you know, and we, on behalf of this mayor and this deputy mayor, are here to try and get you to the next step. So now I think it is my job to introduce Kelsey. So I want to, I, I am so excited about this, and I wish this had existed back when I needed this. But so Kelsey Lentz, the co-founder of Two Birds Inc. Kelsey, welcome, and I'm going to let you talk about your business, what it is, and then I'm going to ask you also say specifically why you brought these two types of services together. Sure, thank you. Um, no, and it's just it's an honestly it's an honor to to speak on this panel because so much of what everyone has spoken about prior to me is actually exactly why we started this business. So for anyone who's not familiar with Two Birds, we are in a nutshell. Um, licensed child care, so we provide um, early childhood education for birth through age five alongside workspace. So we really started this business, and actually I started this business when I was pregnant with my first child. I was about eight months pregnant with my first child, and very much in the arena of, you know, as a, as a working mother, 
what do I do when I need to balance kind of motherhood and my professional career. But um, we wanted to create the resources and the space and the environment so that it doesn't have to be a binary decision so that you aren't feeling like you either have to prioritize your, you know, your professional life or your personal life. And we set out our mission is not to tell any parent, any working parent or parent, what that balance should be. And, you know, there are certainly parents out there who have made the decision to um, remain at home. There are people out there who have made the decision not to become parents and to pursue full-time work. There are people out there who have made the decision to find some balance in between. And our mission is basically to make all of those options possible. Um, so, you know, I look at everything that's happening right now, obviously, through the lens of um, of childcare and of working women and working parents with children. You know, in, in good times, so in non-pandemic times, we are obviously faced with statistics where women um, very predominantly are the ones who are taking, you know, substantial leaves post-birth and where it's obviously, as so many people before me have said, has had a real impact on career growth, on earnings, on um you know, women's identities, et cetera. And I I love that Dr. Morris Hughes has said you shouldn't have to choose between motherhood and career. And so, again, you know, that's what we were looking at. But the we really, we really sought to find a solution where it isn't a binary decision. And I think what the pandemic has done is forced us in back into this world of binary decisions where, um, you know, especially for the demographic that we deal with. It's virtual learning is not really an option. If you have children at home in the birth to age five, that is a full-time job. And so trying to work from home while you have children in that age group at home is next to impossible. And so then, you know, families are faced with this impossible decision of, well, which career do we prioritize and who is the child care really falling to? Um, and I think you know, speaking as a business owner of Two Birds, we were in kind of a unique position that we're, as a business, we're at the crossroads between, you know, essential business and essential workers and um, working with a group of employees who are in, um, you know, these these high-risk categories for unemployment, et cetera, um, as well as, you know, the crossroads of that with education and child care and working parents. Um, I actually fall within the demographic of all those because I'm a business owner. I am also a working mom. My, I have two children. They both go to Two Birds. We shut for three months at the very start of the pandemic. So I suddenly was working from home with kids in this age group and dealing with the exact same kind of problems that everything everyone has described on this call. Um, and we, we've been open again since mid-June. Um, I think for us, it's been really incredible. We basically rebuilt our business when we reopened because, as you can imagine, um, you know, for, for a number of factors, both comfort with being back in social settings, the ability to return to childcare, uh, people having been out of work, and so still looking for jobs, um, a number of factors meant that when we reopened, we really needed to rebuild our business. Um, but it has been really incredible to see the, the growth there. And someone had mentioned, you know, 
child care has been really hard hit. A lot of child care companies have closed. The industry has shrunk quite a bit. So, you know, it was already an industry that had, that did not have enough spots and enough accessibility. And we're now facing that even more so. And what we're seeing is the the demand is definitely there. And the way that as an economy and as a group of women that we will recover is to find ways to increase accessibility to childcare again. Um, and so, you know, on the business side of it, uh, it surviving through the pandemic would not have been possible for us without grants. And we count ourselves really fortunate that we were able to both survive kind of through the last year of the pandemic and now to be on the side of it where um, we've rebuilt it enough that we have families in place that we see ourselves as a sustainable business again. Well, Kelsey, thank you uh, for joining us. Uh, I think I'm reminded of something my mom used to say as after all of our panelists spoke, uh, and she used to say that, or she still says it, I think, uh, is that uh, even though I make it look easy, doesn't mean it is. Um, and so I'm reminded in all the stories, everything that you all have raised, uh, that we're still uh, uh, still under uh, operating under that, and especially so, uh, I think, in the pandemic. Uh, so, Kelsey, actually, first question for you. So you are back to kind of where you were, is that right? Or uh, do you think, and are you looking at new opportunities? Because I know we, I think we talked, or maybe I talked with your partner about looking for other uh, spaces. And so sometimes we've got some folks uh, in the real estate uh, business who are watching this check-in. Where are you guys? How are you positioned? Uh, and are you looking at uh, even growth opportunities at this point? Yeah, so I'll, I'll answer the second question first because it's a little bit easier. We are actually looking at expanding. So we are... Um, and I think this just speaks to uh, both the the need for access to early childhood education, but also we were just we were in a really unique position where our business model happened to align really well with the way in which the world is now moving, and a real understanding of this idea of remote work and the flexibility that um, it can offer if employees are if employers are willing to embrace it. So that yes, we are actually expanding, and we're looking for additional locations. Um, the first question is a little bit more complicated just because in terms of enrollment and families that we have at the center, we are actually more enrolled than we had been even prior to the pandemic. But, um, you know, we're a regulated industry and there's obviously uh, a lot that goes hand in hand with um, kind of health and safety and um, the way in which the pandemic has affected our world that has really affected kind of operations. So our business model, um, our, you know, our financial model looks very different than it did pre-pandemic. So it's not that we've um, just replicated what we had pre-pandemic. Um, so in that sense, uh, we are not at the same place that we had been pre-pandemic, but in, in terms of kind of demand and enrollment, we, um, yeah, we're, we're kind of back up there. All right, Kelsey, let's stay in touch because we definitely want to find opportunities for you all to expand uh, and make sure that this is available uh, for our families. Uh, so excited love- to talk to you. Definitely. Uh, and wanted to bring in uh, our first caller, uh, who actually is someone that we reached out to to ask uh, her to call in, uh, and it's Angela Franco from the D.C. Chamber. Uh, Angela, are you with us? Yes, I'm here. And I'm Angela, here. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. So, Angela, I think okay. you've got you've got some news for us. I do, I do, I do. So, I'm the new president and CEO of the DC Chamber of Commerce. 
and I am very excited to, um, you know, to to be helping the city during these challenging times, and really to work with all of you um, during this time. And happy Fanny. to be participating. Mm-hmm. No, and you've been a great partner uh, throughout the pandemic. Uh, we've had you on before, uh, but we really wanted to take a moment to applaud you uh, in uh, having uh, gotten the permanency of the role, uh, well-deserved, and we're excited to work with you. So tell us about what the Chamber has been working on and, and what the Chamber does to support uh, women in business. Thank you. So, I mean, I want to share first that we have created a women's group that is basically going to be putting all the efforts in creating specific programs for women. Um, you know, this is, this is a challenging time for everybody, but I think that for working moms, and, um, you know, I can relate to Christy, and, um, you know, it's, it's very difficult, and employers somehow, I mean, I'm not going to say that they have to accommodate, but we all have to work on that flexibility of having the kids at the house. Um, so it is, so what we are doing is um, we have um, several events and opportunities where women-owned businesses can join and learn about, you know, how to open a business, what kind of business they can open, you know, how, how do we do a business plan, how to have access to credit. That those are like that's one of the most challenging things for a for, an, for a small business owner. In addition, we also have a workforce development committee, and women is one of the um, priorities in how we can help them to go back to the workforce. So, I mean, and I also want to ask you, I mean, John and Christy and and Unique, how can the chamber the chamber support your efforts? And I know I have one-on-one conversations with all of you. But how do you envision the chamber really working closer with you in, in order to help our community? Hi, Angela. This is Christy. That's um, a great question. Thank you. And congratulations, President. Um, Thank you. <laughs> I think that what we should do is really work to make sure we are advertising the resources. And then I also think that we can work together to sort of demystify some of the situations that women are in. You know, I talk about this from a general business owner standpoint where it's often that people ask us how we are and we smile brightly and we say we're fine um, when our, you know, we are losing the marrow in our bones. And so we need to make sure that we first kind of destigmatize help and make sure that people understand that it is wonderful to have a resource and that we're here to help in a very open and non-judgmental way. Um, you know, I, I often say to when I'm in front of a lot of businesses, I was like, I talk to all of you. Most of your credit is shot. Everybody's running a real business in a real life. So let's just cut the crap and let's get to what the help is. And I think making sure that we create those safe spaces, particularly for women and women who are working and balancing all of these things, I would be a great a, a great help, and so I really look forward to to formalizing that and really advertising it. Mm-hmm. And for, yeah. for DOES, I'll just say briefly uh, and congratulations, uh, Angela. Um, Thank you. You know, you all have been great partners with us on uh, with our job fairs um, and even supporting us with the Marion Berry Summer Youth Employment Program, making sure that young people have early career experiences, high quality career experiences. Um, and so just to keep partnering with us, we do have people 
um, who are ready to go back to work. Um, and so um, we want to continue to partner um, with you and your members that may have um, uh, job opportunities available. Um, and we also want to continue to partner for SYEP and connecting young people, um, to many of which will be their first summer job. So, mm -hmm. Angela, I have an idea. Well, mm -hmm. Yes. Um, I'm Karen. always open to ideas. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that the Chamber could be an incredible partner as um, you know, a, a coalition of employers. Um, so your businesses, of course, are employing people. And as we think about what a better normal looks like, you know, how can, how can we make this work? You know, how do we sort of strike the balance of providing the flexibility that people need and making sure that we're not um, giving our female employees binary choices? But, you know, that takes some, some working through. Um, I love to be in the office as well. Um, it's hard to be in the office and then have people somewhere else. Um, but I think that you all can be um, thought leaders and supporters of the employers that are your members as everybody um, works to find those solutions um, that create sort of a, a better post-pandemic state of normal. Right. Yeah, thank you for that. And, you know, I want you all to know that not only the DC Chamber, but I, the whole business community is really, really engaging in, in putting people back to work. And we're all working together to find those businesses and find those opportunities to, to help the city. I think we're in a time that we are all need to work together. And this is a great opportunity to do it on the workforce development side. Well, Angela, Unique uh, mentioned a statistic that uh, women won't get back into the workforce in the same numbers as men after the pandemic until at least two years later, so 2024. Uh, so. Uh, Mayor Bowser, I know, is going to want us to beat that statistic. Uh, so we mm -hmm. hope that the uh, chamber is going to be a partner with us uh, on that. So let's talk about that as a, a key goal. And I know Sharon uh, will work with the, uh, the uh, district's economic recovery team in order to make sure that we're actually measuring that uh, here in uh, D.C. as well. So uh, that may be something that we want to all work on together. Um, and I'm going to ask, uh, actually, we've got one question from Facebook, but then I'm going to come back to uh, Jocelyn and uh, Kelsey, uh, but the question from Facebook is for Unique um, and Unique. Uh, mm -hmm. You mentioned uh, one of the hats that you wear as the director of DOES, uh, and that is making sure that people uh, get the benefits mm -hmm. uh, that they um, uh, are entitled to as part of uh, both local but also federal programs. And so the um, uh, question relates to the update of the website. I guess there are new provisions within the American Rescue Plan. Yep. Uh, so when do those go into effect and when can people uh, start to apply or do they have to apply yep. again? So a uh, question from Ernest uh, on uh, Facebook. So uh, great question. You do not have to apply. So those provisions have gone into effect um, uh, currently um, once the president signed the bill. However, it is going to take us two and a half to three weeks to continue updating our system. And now these updates are only going to impact those that have run out of eligible benefit weeks. So if all of your unemployment insurance benefit weeks have expired, then this is going to impact you. If they have not expired and you still have eligible benefit weeks, you should continue to um, file your claim as usual. 
um, and you will receive your benefit. Um, one other question, which I'm sure uh, Ernest may be wondering, is that there's an additional $300 plus up payment called FPUC. Um, that payment is currently being paid out right now as long as you have an eligible weekly benefit. So if you have weeks left, you can continue to file. You can get your full amount of money. If you have run out of benefit weeks, it's going to take us two and a half to three weeks um, and we're anticipating having the updates done probably the end of the first week in April. Great. Um, and as always, if folks have questions, what should they, where should they, they go? They should go to does.dc.gov. We have a plethora of information on the does.dc.gov website. Fantastic. Uh, thank you for that. And I want to uh, go back uh, to Jocelyn and uh, Kelsey. Uh, so you've got uh, the district government listening. Uh, what would you do? Uh, and we do this kind of activity during our budget engagement forums uh, that Mayor Bowser has every year. Uh, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a budget, but it could be an initiative. A budget item could be an initiative. So if you were uh, sitting in our shoes, what would be the one thing that you would say district government should do in order to make sure that we get more women back to the workforce uh, as we think about the recovery? Uh, so why don't we go to Jocelyn first? Um, well, I, I do two things, one that you've already mentioned and one that you haven't. One, uh, your work around child care and just helping uh, women with caregiving is essential. I appreciate your leadership on it, and we will need more of it um, because that's at the heart of what women need. Um, the other thing, though, I would say is that I think one of the things we don't really know very well is what's happened to women who've continued to work but yet their kids are at home, virtual schooling, like how are they juggling all of that? I just, the data doesn't capture it. We, we know that, you know, black women are a very good example. They have the highest unemployment rate. They also have the highest labor force participation rate. They are working. They have always worked, um, but they're also struggling. So I, I think we need to figure out what are the things that would help them, right? Like they can't give up their jobs. They can't stay at home. So what are the things that they are really missing? And I think we don't have enough of those answers. So I, I would uh, encourage you to engage in those conversations, whether it's moms whose kids are at school, like doing things with parents, teachers, groups, whatever it is. I think we need to understand better just what their needs are um, so that we can help them even though they continue to work. And can I just add one thing? The, the new chief economist at um, DOL, Janelle Jones, also penned the study Black Women's Best, um, which looks specifically at recovery amongst African-American women. Um, if there are folks at home that haven't read it, they should check it out. It's a quick and easy um, read, but it lists some very practical policy recommendations um, that also address uh, the, it's not even a nuance, it's just not captured in, in the data, like, you know, how people are struggling, what the, what the impact is. So um, she's the new chief economist, which is pretty amazing, um, and it's called Black Women's Best. Great. And uh, Jocelyn, maybe we could actually use your assistance in kind of crafting that survey, but also how we reach uh, our residents to actually uh, figure that out. So I, Sharon's shaking her head here. I don't know if you could see us, but uh, I think Sharon's going to be following up with you on that one. Uh, so love that suggestion, and we want to work with you on it. Kelsey, uh, let's turn to you and a suggestion for how we get women back into the workforce. If, if you were district government, what would be the initiative or the budget item uh, you'd focus on? 
Yeah, so I I would say also two things. One, a bit through the lens of childcare, which is one of the things that we're noticing is um, there has been in the last, I would say, two or three months, a, a massive uptick in searching for childcare, which I think is um, partially triggered by businesses starting to look at um, returning to in-person work. And I think um, while I, you know, I had mentioned it's, it's obviously hard to work from home with kids in, you know, the birth through five age group, I think a lot of women have been cobbling through it and figuring it out. And I think, um, you know, as they get called back into the office, that's not going to be possible. And so uh, through the lens of childcare, I would say two things. I would say one, continuing, which I know you guys all spend quite a bit of time on, continuing to increase the number of spots that are available and, you know, from the business side, um, figuring out ways to support child care centers so that they can continue to operate. The other thing that I was going to mention is that I think, I do think that there are a lot of women who, um, again, this data probably isn't captured because they exist outside of kind of the corporate work structure, but who have cobbled together either, you know, freelance work or, um, you know, kind of gay economy work, but but work that doesn't necessarily get captured in, in surveys of employers in the same way, working for themselves, et cetera. And I think a lot of that work was put on hold um, in order to care for children. And I think, you know, the ramping back up at work can be easier than a complete re-entry. And I think there are a lot of women right now in a position where they had to take a full step out of the workforce for a year. And so are now facing, rather than a, a ramping back up of hours or a ramping back up of their career, they're facing a complete re-entry. And so trying to provide assistance on, on that side of it would be helpful because um, I, I think that can be really difficult. And I don't know, Sharon, if you have anything, too, as we think about kind of return to work, uh, how we'd approach what Kelsey just pointed out, too. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, as we as we see more employers think about what return to work looks like, these are exactly the kinds of questions that we're going to have to tackle. And, you know, as I mentioned to Angela, like, I really think that there's going to be a lot of value in forums for exchange of these ideas and places where people can work through them together. Um, so... I think we have a lot of opportunities ahead of us. And I know that uh, part of uh, the mayor's order that went into effect yesterday uh, for non-essential, non-retail business, we actually did drop the encouragement to telework, right? So previously there was a encouragement to telework and put in place a plan for return to work. And now we've actually, uh, because the health metrics allow, we actually do are able to drop that encouragement to telework. So people can start to come back to the office I think what Kelsey points out is it, we have to make sure that we, as a city, don't make that so jolting uh, for folks. So it's something we'll keep an eye on uh, in our work uh, as well. And uh, there's still obviously a need to uh, put in place health protocols, and part of that will include social uh, social distancing. Uh, and so just how employers approach that uh, will be so important. So I just look to uh, our my partners. Uh, on the panel, uh, Unique and Christy, uh, to get their parting thoughts. Um, I would say I was just sitting here and I was reflecting on the fact that, you know, Washington, D.C. and the Bowser administration is a smart government. 
I mean, it's smart people who are working hard to make, you know, important changes. Um, but we also have a, an extremely smart populace, right? Our, our, our businesses owners, you know, are amazing and resilient and insightful. And so I think that the message that I would like to put out there is, is that this government is listening. And, and those of you who are going through this and, and know or have some great ideas, please don't think that they will fall on a tin ear. This government is listening and we want to do something entirely different. It doesn't have to be getting back to what it was. It should be getting back to what it maybe should have always been or what the best next thing is. And so we're here and I think we're ready to innovate in partnership. Yeah, and I, I'll just add that, um, you know, this is, this is a very timely and important conversation. Um, I'm just proud to be part of a government and be amongst colleagues and work for um, a, a woman-led city and a mayor, um, which is fearless and unapologetic about centering um, the voices um, of people who are unheard. Um, that that is inspiring, and as much as um, at least at Department of Employment Services, what we have going on um, as it relates to unemployment insurance, we are ready to roll up our sleeves and get to work um, to help all people get to work, but for the sake of this discussion, um, help women return um, back to work as safely and smoothly as possible. Fantastic. Um, and I'm going to turn to Sharon. Uh, Sharon? Tomorrow's March Madness. The team has really been working on this uh, really all year, uh, so we're excited about that. What are you most excited about for tomorrow's March Madness? Well, so much um, because, <laughs> yes, we have been working on it for a while, a year, you could say, or you yeah, know, a month sure. that feels like a year. Um, but I don't want to ruin too many surprises. I will just say that you all should probably tune into March Madness tomorrow. So tomorrow, 10 a.m., uh, you could watch it uh, where you're watching here, either on uh, at Mayor Bowser on Facebook or Twitter, mayor.dc.gov slash live, uh, or Channel 16. Uh, so Kelsey and Jocelyn, you've given us our marching orders. Uh, we've got a survey uh, uh, in the works, I'm sure. Uh, Sharon's already got it lined up. Our economic intelligence team is, is already pinging me, so <laughs> we'll be following up. Fantastic. So we've got that. We'll continue to work uh, on adding more childcare seats, uh, so critically important. And also make sure that we uh, don't uh, contribute to the jolting uh, that uh, Kelsey uh, talked about. Uh, so we've got our marching orders. Um, and I know that, uh, Unique, you just uh, mentioned the words uh, fearless and unapologetic. Uh, and Mayor Bowser actually asked us to come out here each week to talk to residents about uh, the recovery, what we're doing to make sure that we're focused on not just relief, but also recovery and growth. And so that was what this conversation was about today. Uh, and fearless and unapologetic come to mind when you think about uh, the mayor testifying uh, oh, before the Congress amazing. yesterday. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, and uh, talk about a woman in the workplace uh, and really coming up against what you come up against uh, yeah. each and every day. Uh, although um, maybe there aren't as many cameras around uh, when you do it, but the mayor stood in there. Uh, and really uh, made us all proud. Uh, so Absolutely. we're on a pathway uh, to DC statehood, uh, which we're really excited about, uh, and we'll have more on that and what that means uh, for the business uh, businesses in DC uh, and the workers in DC as well uh, in the weeks ahead. Uh, so look out for that. Uh, but again, tune in to March Madness tomorrow. Want to thank all of the folks here in the room with us, 
Uh, also, uh, thank you, Jocelyn and Kelsey, for joining us. Uh, and we'll see you all tomorrow uh, for March Madness at 10 a.m. Uh, again, on social media, uh, look for at Mayor Bowser uh, and then on Channel 16 uh, as well. So thank you all. Have a great day and be safe.